Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Justin, a.k.a. Just Tries, and we're always talking vulnerability, learning, and growth mindset. Check out Just Keep Learning anywhere for more content to help you not just set goals, but achieve them too. We have a goal to help millions of people be lifelong learners and get their own ambitions off the ground, so be sure to reach out and let us know how we can help. Our guest today is an entrepreneur as well as an actor. Most importantly, she's generous and humble as she loves to teach and help others chase down their own dreams. She's the founder of a few businesses, hosts her own podcast, and is a story maker through and through. She's a writer, actor, and producer with many film credits and creations. While we did tap into her expertise about social media, business, and acting, in many ways, the most valuable conversation revolved around being a half tomboy, the stressors of childhood, using your imagination to set goals, and strategies to deal with ADHD. Please welcome to episode 18, Jordan Elizabeth Gelber. If you were to come and speak to one of my high school classes, let's say a business class, and you were to introduce who you are and kind of what you do because you do so many awesome things, how would you introduce yourself to them? That's a fun question. I would say my name is Jordan Elizabeth Galbert, and I am the CEO and founder of the marketing production firm Starbaby Enterprises. My whole life and passion is about making my own success and empowering others to do the same. And I like educating and empowering students to to learn. That would be it. I don't know what else to go from there. I just love uh, helping people. I love that you say make your own success. So why that distinction when you say make your own, that stands out to me. When I was growing up, right, you're told that you want to find a job that's practical. And I've always wanted to be an actor. So my job choices were never practical. You were told like, no, you have to go get a traditional job and then you go to school, then you find the, you know, the next traditional thing. And I think over the last 20 years, there's just been a huge disruption in the world of entrepreneurialism and the ability to create your own success instead of seeking out someone to provide you with success, giving yourself the opportunity and permission to provide yourself with success. Uh, I've always known I was going to be an entrepreneur. And luckily, my parents did help cultivate that a little bit, but they were not 100% for it right off the bat. And I think being able to prove myself and showcase that that's what I wanted to do and also help people who feel like that's their true journey. It's important. We we spend a lot of time seeking out approval from others instead of seeking out the approval from ourselves. And that's why I think it's important to take the time to decide what your own success or what your definition of success is. And that could be being an entrepreneur, that could be being an intrapreneur, like working in a company and rising your way up, or that could be creating a collective or starting a podcast or being a chef. I don't know. But I think the most important thing is giving yourself the permission to find your own success. The thing that inspired me the most about this was uh, I was really love the movie, The Social Network. And in the movie, I think the Winklevoss twins go to the dean about something about their job. And he, the dean said, people don't come here to find jobs. They come here to create jobs. And that really resonated with me. And I just knew that that's what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, that's pretty special. I think the fact that you go beyond just creating your own success, uh, I don't want to say it's rare, but it's definitely unique. And it's really important that we are helping others. When it comes to that, you said that you always wanted to be an actor. So it was never really practical or traditional, I suppose. Did that come as well from like younger years for you? Take me back to like, you know, grade school or high school. Yeah, (laughs) way back, you know, that early learning journey for you. What was that like? And did that help? help form it at all? Or did you have to break free of that traditional mindset? I think I always had a unconventional mindset when it came to learning and understanding my voice and who I am and what that means to me, but also how it connects with other people. Uh, I'm an only child. So I was always kind of like by myself, figuring out and building my own world and creating my own friends. And I know it sounds sad, but as being an only child, my parents, they worked all the time. So I would go with them or I would like live in the world of my imagination, which is why I always want to be an actor. So when people ask like what I do now, I act still, but I create a production company to provide myself with opportunities. But to go all the way back, yeah, it's something that I always wanted. I always felt like I thought a little bit differently than everybody else. And I was always used to hanging out people much older than I because I don't have any siblings. And my dad like reading me like really sophisticated novels and I'm like five, (laughs) just trying to talk about that with other people my age. And it was just very hard. I'm grateful for it now because it gave me a different perspective on life. But at the time, it was very difficult. However, 
I would say that I knew I wanted to make my own way in the world at an early age, as far back as I can remember, like the minute that I found out that my toys as a child had value, uh, I would buy all those like that, like I, I would get like tie beanie babies and I would find I had all these beanie babies and like I was like six or seven and I found they had value and I would go to the like borders or Barnes and Noble and I would get a book that had all the prices and I would go home and I would check them all and I would tag them also uh, I was really into Pokemon cards I'm still a nerd I'm wearing a Harry Potter sweatshirt and I have buns right now like I'm, I'm still such a nerd but I I was really into Pokemon cards and I from the minute that they came out I got into them and then I found out they had value I started like tagging them and putting them together and making custom decks like I was always actively looking for unique and creative ways to start a business. And that really transitioned. And I, I, my dad's an entrepreneur. So I kind of got to see what he did and, and how cool I thought it was to kind of have your own business. But uh, the kind of work that goes into it is not something that you can necessarily learn in school. I always was kind of like an outcast in school. So to me, having creative outlets to express myself really helped. And also uh, finding peers because where I grew up, it was very, um, sports oriented and very educational oriented, which was cool, but I didn't fit in that well. So I wasn't in the sports and stuff. So I, I went to performing arts high school. That's how I started really opening my hemisphere of, of uh, people. Yeah. And then discovering like, what does it mean for me to learn? How, what, how do I learn? Like my teachers are teaching me what they're being told to do, but they're not taking the time to really cultivate how me as a student and me as a struggling student is taking what they're doing and really, I'm like, am I, is it saturated? Am I, am I taking it? Um, so when I got into college, that's how it all changed for me. Yeah, I went to college and I decided if I was going to act, I was going to go do it. And I really took advantage of my college career. I really loved my college. I speak there all the time. For me, really, I knew I was going to graduate and start my own business. I've been working for myself since I graduated. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we can kind of jump on there. In terms I know, of- so many things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. The first one is that I was going to ask when you brought up the nostalgic business ideas and collectibles, if you were into po- Pokemon cards now, I miss that just as like a thing. I can <laughs> In terms of the timeline, it mm. would have been something that I would have been into. Both my brothers were, and I just wasn't at the time because I was into sports a- a- as a big focus. But are you still into Pokemon cards now? Because that could be your entire business. <laughs> I know, right? Like, it's so weird now. My entire collection is, uh, I have it stashed here somewhere. I'm not pointing it because someone will come and try to steal them from me. But yeah, no, I, I'm not necessarily in them in the sense of like playing them, but the nostalgic element of like this was something I was so passionate about that I worked hard at it. And I, I think games are so much fun that way. It's the same way they're sports. Like you work so hard at it and it's something you could actively see yourself getting better at. So sadly, my business is not Pokemon cards anymore, but I, I do do a lot of uh, fandom and pop culture things. So I still get to be a kid every now and again. So you, you're not selling them anytime soon? Oh, I don't know. They just announced that uh, they have a bit of value now. So I'm going to like, when I have the time, I'm going to sit down, whenever that may be, uh, I'm going to sit down and start like getting an appraiser and be like, hey, uh, how's this work? <laughs> Can I sell it and make a movie? Yeah. So, so you haven't you haven't done it at all yet? Your actual cards? Like looked <gasps> um, into prices? I haven't. I've looked at some of the prices, but the prices can go all over the place. I have a couple first edition cards, which is crazy for me to say. But yeah, I have a couple first edition cards. I have more than a couple. But uh, yeah, I'm going to look into it just because it's amazing to me how collectibles have really just resurfaced. It's unique that like something that had so much value emotionally as a child has now so much value monetarily as an adult that you can like cash in on your childhood. <laughs> invest in yourself. It's kind of a 360 on that. Yeah, it partially reminds me of people who owned Bitcoin super early and then got out of it where they had like a box full of, you know, Pokemon or Magic the Gathering cards or something. And they're calling their parents saying, please tell me you didn't throw out that box kind of thing. Yeah, pretty neat. And the other thing, uh, one of the other things that you brought up was the idea of being an outcast in school. Oh, yeah. And since this podcast is as much as possible about helping people own their dreams, but really learning to learn, because I think that is the key. (laughs) to being able to own those dreams. Right. It may be difficult, but can you speak to some of those things? When you say outcast, was that more social peer situations? Was it, you know, staff and teachers? Was it kind of both? Was it just the system as a whole? What was that outcast like? Yeah, I... I I love speaking about this. And I think you're one of the first people to ever really uh, ask me a deep dive into it. So I I very much appreciate that. I would say everything as a whole. Socially, I was a a 
pariah in many ways. Like I was a completely picked on all the time. I was heavily bullied. I, I was born in Manhattan. And then I like to say we were, I was taken hostage and raised in Connecticut, but my parents decided to move to Connecticut. And just from the minute that we got there, it's just, I never really fit in. You know, when you're, when you're a city kid, it's a very different mentality. Even the people from how you see your family, like they're across the block or they're around the corner or they're, or, you know, it's just a different kind of experience. And then to move to suburbia where it's such a mod hodge of kids, I never really got to have like that. I'm the new kid in school. Like people take time to spend time with me. I was bullied like very early on, just heavily made fun of. And it really um, caused me a lot of damage growing up. Difficult making friends. It was hard for me to um, just connect to my peers because I didn't know how to really talk to anybody because I feel like people didn't really give me the chance. And then at the same time, my parents were very, very strict when it came to my education. And I was so I would try really hard to work very hard in school. But it also put a lot of pressure on me when I was at school to really try to understand what was going on. And I don't think I had many teachers. I could probably count them on like two or three fingers of through my entire kindergarten to elementary school to middle school to high school life. I only had very few teachers that took the time to really pull me out of my shell and really help me discover what was important to me and what I was passionate about as a student. And like, I think, and I don't mind speaking about this, I definitely think I wasn't diagnosed with ADD as a kid. And that was really hard as an adult. It's been very difficult applying that. Like I've been able to like put systems in place for it now, but had someone just taken the time to like tell my parents that they thought that that was going on and maybe take a little bit more time and helping me put things together and maybe like, hey, like, reading like I I didn't read my first full book until I was like the end of my elementary school year because it's just so hard for me to sit and like read and then read it and read it and read it again and I think when you don't have teachers that take the time to sit with you and really try to encourage you that it's okay to be different and it's okay to struggle it would have just been so much easier I, I have one close friend from that I grew up with since I was very young and she and I talk about all the time that where we grew up our high school was harder than our college and that was really like mind-boggling like I think it prepared me for a lot I think I had a little bit of a leg up because my schooling was and my education was very hard but I would have liked to enjoy the experience a little bit more. And I think the combination of the social and the the system just being against me. Like I remember being in a math class. So math was my favorite subject. I was a math minor in college because I'm a nerd. And uh, and um, I had a few teachers that really saw that. And like the, I had like one teacher that really encouraged that. But I had a class one time where the teacher, just because I wasn't popular, like did not even acknowledge me. And like in my uh, school, my my grade, my my generation, whatever you want to call it, my year that grad, uh, we were just very we had a very um substantial social chain if you did something like 10 years ago it carried on with you and when a lot of my friends had older siblings when we got to high school they weren't necessarily made fun of because oh they have older siblings i had to kind of make the way for myself and it was very difficult i felt very much alone and i always found solace in tutors and teachers outside of my regular school that i sought out that were there to help me and i also went to uh forming arts high school so I went half day to regular high school, half day to my high school, and that changed everything for me um, because I was able to to make new friends and, and engage with new people that didn't know this social chain that were doing something that they loved that I also love, which was acting and finding teachers that helped me deal with like my confidence issues and helped me deal with embracing my voice and helped me deal with who I am and what I wanted to become. Growing up where I grew up, if you weren't part of student council and if you didn't like sports and if you weren't very popular, even like the woman that I had that was like my college tutor, she that my mom like got to help me with applications, like just because I wasn't popular, she like didn't know what to engage with me on, which was difficult. And I think that what people need to realize is like, it's okay to be different. And it's this is just an, a small part of your life, but it can affect you. I mean, things that I went through as a kid still affect me today. I just deal with it differently. One of the favorite books of mine that I read to my daughter at night is called It's Okay. And every single page starts with It's Okay. And it's a neat little cartoon, very simple book, but then each page is a different thing. You know, it's okay to have a long nose and it's a picture of an elephant. It's okay to, and in one of them, it says be adopted. And it's these two dogs holding another little dog and my daughter is adopted. So it's like a neat little thing to just show her, you know, every couple nights when she dips into that book, it's okay to, and then it goes like into literally everything 
everything you can imagine. But I do find that at home we can be supportive. But then once you enter that system every day, that system of school, it can still be challenging. I can say it's okay as much as I want to my daughter. But then when she goes off to school, she's in this whole other kind of ecosystem. I was going to ask, what are some things that kind of like were symptomatic of your version of, of ADD? Because it's different for everybody. Like, how did it really affect you? It's something that I'm still identifying now as an adult because it's just things that happen habitually now that I can correlate or, or go backwards. Like, obviously, I'm a, as a kid, I would say focus is such a cliche way to express it. But definitely that I just always needed to be heavily stimulated. And I would like draw in class and I would write stuff and I would have to multitask all the time and I would get reprimanded for that. Something that was so vivid to me um, that kind of helped me accept as an adult that I do think I've been dealing with this for a long time. We had standardized testing and I, I remember being in middle school and we had the CAP test because this was all time with like, you know, no child left behind, all these crazy tests. I think this was in middle school, but we would have these tests and they would they want to test the kids and there would be this whole big reading section. And I'm fairly like I'm fairly intelligent. I'm, I'm very lucky and blessed, but, you know, constantly reading a page and trying to grasp it and then reading it and your mind going in like several different other directions and having a conversation with yourself while you're trying to read this page and there's a clock going on and then you realize like the thing's done so I would just circle a bunch of random answers and I and I remember being called into like a guidance counselor's office with my parents and they're like and she basically said to my parents like she does well and all this stuff like but why not here and I literally vividly remember saying like I just got bored I couldn't couldn't figure it out. Like I was just bored. It was just, I couldn't understand it. And I just circled random answers. It's not that I couldn't read. It was just that I was having a hard time focusing on the comprehension and really understanding what was being laid out before me. Even now, I mean, sometimes it takes me more time to to read pages and I love reading. I started really picking that back up last year. And But now in a world where we live in such overstimulated society, it's even more difficult now to kind of go backwards into the archaic way of doing things like reading a real book, taking a stroll, we have to constantly be stimulated. So I would also say just a big uh, leap for me is trying to figure out why my grades were where they were when I was younger and where my grades were where they were in college and where I am now professionally. It just seems like such a disconnect. And I think it's because where I grew up was very much about like, you need to get an A. It doesn't matter how you got that A, you just you need to get an A. So it wasn't about the actual process of learning. I felt like for many teachers, it was just about obtaining this so then the school could in the district keep the score up and like good for them but for someone like me that socially was an outcast and also felt what could be minute issues then that now as an adult I can tell that like had I been able to problem solve them at an early age or had I been able to even just vocalize them at a year early age I think I might I might be better or I might be not maybe maybe the fact that it was that helps me problem solve differently and and I can handle a lot of stuff and I'm very good under pressure now and I'm and I like things chaotically but there are things that still happen that I wish I could have learned to problem solve in early age had someone subscribed to the notion that it was okay that this girl had potentially could be diagnosed with this. It's so neat to me how we can connect the dots backwards, you know, and I personally feel grateful, I guess, the best where I can come up with on the spot that I feel like a survivor of the same types of things, you know, that's the word that I like to use survive, because for me, all these things led to a lot of mental health struggles, they led to like, should I even do school? Like, you know, I went through that every single year from the time I was 12 until now, even when it comes to formal education and wondering if it's important or valuable or not, you know, and I was fortunate that I could always play the game enough to get by. Oh, yeah. Sounds <laughs> like you kind of were the Mm-hmm. We're the same, right? So did you complete college? Yeah, it's so funny to me. Like I um I never did anything of note for that matter really in um my like like where I grew up and stuff. When I got to college, um I was a double major, double minor. I was able to do a lot of different things. I had my BA in communication arts and graphic design. I got an award at baccalaureate for being a graphic designer. Like all these things that to me felt like it was just like a, a redo of high school almost. Uh yeah, college was really helpful to me. I, 
I went, I was fortunate enough to go to a liberal arts college, but I wasn't even told about what a liberal arts college was in school. That school was like a backup school. And because I wanted to go into this, I wanted to live in the city. Like I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. And had someone explained to me what a liberal arts school was ahead of time, I would have just applied to a bunch of liberal arts colleges. It's like such a well-rounded education, in my opinion. The other schools are great. But for someone like me that had such a negative learning experience, I don't want to say educational experience, because I think I sought out my fixing that in some ways, but just the action of learning, which I think people don't realize is like a big deal. It's not so much about like, is she's really good at this subject? No, it's how does she problem solve or he or she problem solve? How does she see something before her and, and like put all the dots? Like I love numbers because to me, I could really understand how that that was applied, but no one took the time to do that. And I, all my teachers in my college not only took the time to really hear me out, but would tell me and show me and be hands-on. It was very small classes and and they would take the time to even cultivate. My my first teacher, my first math teacher in um, college was the one that inspired me to be a math minor. Like I had that in small ways, but I didn't have that in the way that I realized I was craving um, when I was younger. So yeah, no, I was very fortunate to graduate college, but even that whole process I would have done differently. I just think that there's a lot that I would have done differently had I been more aware of the issues I was having because I couldn't even acknowledge that because like you said, mental health issues. I, had, I didn't have a lot of mental health issues, but I dealt with depression very significantly and I even do now when you have these problems for lack of a better word like there are days when you're consciously aware of everything you have to do but you're watching it literally in front of you and you're waving at it as it passes by and you feel very stuck because it seems like there's so much to do that you're almost like under the weight of that that you can't do anything there are days that I go through that and that's really difficult especially being a business owner like that's really difficult I'm hoping that by sharing that people can understand that you don't have to be super type A, there are different variations of it that you can do problem solve and do stuff. Do you find that you yourself have developed like, well, I'm sure you have personal coping strategies when it comes to that feeling of not wanting to do things like, you know, if you make the list of what helps you versus what hurts, what are some things that you would maybe uh, suggest others try? Obviously, it's an individual thing, but are there certain things that help you? Yeah, I would say organization can be both like the answer to all your problems and also like the bane of your existence depending on how you organize. I like writing things out to me when I write something down. It's almost like it's an ingrained within me because I handle a good amount of clients. I have about 10 to 15 clients and that's not including the other things that I'm building internally. And I need to go through like every single client, like what is outstanding for them and, and what's are the, all the deconstructed steps and, and managing everybody and then delegating. So it, it could seem like a lot, but what keeps me on the money for it, I'm very big on lists and organization. I'm very big on task sheets. The woman that really trained me. I worked with a woman and she was so meticulous on organization and Excel sheets and how to prioritize and what does a P1 mean? That's a top priority. With like she had an, a, a system that I still use today and I haven't worked for her almost a decade. And so I think for somebody looking to be proactive get organized, whether that's in a small or big way. I mean, I've lists for lists sometimes. And that's how I know that I'm kind of spiraling. And I have to go back and then I have to simplify it and only allow myself to do like three things today. And those three things could be like three big projects, or those could be like literally three steps. I always like ending the week sitting down and kind of making my big what I call a client report where I write down like, who do we have in the can? What are they doing? What are they done? And literally, I'll be like, need to write an email or need to finish a presentation and then write the email like going into such meticulous steps helps me because it allows me to just see the follow through versus like need to finish this thing. Well, what happens after you finish it? I think we get so lost in general in life about the end goal. We forget about all the journey that takes to get there. And that's something that you can apply in your personal life, in your professional life, in how you interact with people and how you find new people and how you work with people. Just I think it's important to get organized, whatever that word means to you. To some people, they do word documents, which I can't. I can't do it. I have it, but like, don't I save them and they get off my computer. Having something like I have a million post-it notes around me right now, like having something that's there that I actively see every day that I get. And I, when I'm done, I crunch it up and I throw it out. And it's like so satisfying. <laughs> that's how it's a tiny victory for me when I finish something and I cross it off or I scrunch up the paper and I throw it out. And it's like, okay, I finished that. 
I can really appreciate that because I've done so much of trying to refine and figure out how do I organize, how do I simplify for very much the same reasons. And I think I'm getting close to figuring it out, but I suppose it's a lifelong journey. And so just going back quickly to the high school thing, switching into that school where you're at the performing arts school made a big difference for you. When I started this podcast, you know, I, I made a list of people that I would love to interview. And two of the people that sadly had already passed were uh, John Taylor Gatto and Sir Ken Robert. Robinson. And those were two of the ones in my mind that I was like, see, this is why you shouldn't procrastinate because had I started these interviews earlier, I could have had them on. I'll have to uh, have their books in order to continue to learn from them. But they really stood for this whole idea that you could take someone who struggles academically in a regular system and move them into a place where they're uh, focused on their passion first and academia second. And all of a sudden you're going to see the student thrive. So was that sort of how you felt in making that change to the performing arts thing? Like, why did you say that it was a positive for you? One, it gave me a so a positive social experience, which really helps because when you're depressed as a kid, like I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not diagnosed with major depressive disorder or anything, but I, I had, you know, acute depression and things as, as most people go through at times when they're younger. And a huge part of that was just, I was upset because I didn't have people that I felt like I could really connect to. I didn't really feel like I had friends. I was part of groups, but I felt like the third wheel of the group because I constantly felt in this routine of I'm adjacent to the experiences around me, I'm not into the experiences around me. And it's very different. It's two very different associations, especially when you're trying to define yourself or discover who you are to live your life on the periphery. And that's all you have the ability to do. It's very difficult. So going to performing arts high school, I would go to my regular high school at 730 in the morning. I would leave at 1230. We'd all take a bus, meet a few other students from my school. We would go to a town that was an hour away. And that school had kids from like all over Connecticut because that's where I grew up. And so not only were we meeting people that were from that location, we were meeting people from all over the state who were all there interested in performing arts. And we would be in class for like three hours, which now seems so short that we would be there for so long and I wouldn't get home till seven o'clock at night. So I'd be in school for 12 hours. I'd be able to perform. I met new friends. The people that I made friends with in that school, I've been close friends with me since because we had this experience together and I got to be like, oh, who are you? I, well, I'm Jordan. I'm from Richfield. I like Pokemon cards. You know, um, I want to be an actor. Like this is important to me. And oh, what else do you like? And like just talking to people that because we were all new to each other, there was that energy and excitement about discovering new people and even more so acting, which I always knew I wanted to do. I had never really pursued it before. What was exciting to me, I was just talking about this yesterday, which is so funny. When I first started my acting school, I would do a scene with like a guy and he would do a scene, like I had a scene with like a guy, let's say, and I this close to him and he would do scene and I would blush so hard and I would be so nervous. I'd be shaking by the end of the first year. I was just more confident and just the confidence of like engaging with the opposite sex and learning what that means and engaging with other girls and like having common interests and laughing and being in a different town every day that wasn't the same place that you've been stuck in for so long. It just was so much fun and completely changed my life. They unfortunately don't offer that program um, in my hometown anymore, but it was so beneficial to me uh, just to have an outlet that was what I always wanted to do. Like I wanted to be an actor for as long as I could remember, just as much as I wanted, as long as I could remember being wanted to be an entrepreneur. So to be able to finally have been able to express that was good but at the same time like if I didn't do well in my regular school my my dad would like threaten to pull me out yet uh, I talked to one of my old tutors like when I was taking the GREs like maybe now 10 years ago and he said I saw that when you started going to that school that you totally changed like you you came out of your shell you seemed happier you were more aware of it and it was just it was just nice it was just nice I don't have another word for it, it was just really really nice because I, I really hated where I grew up it really um has put a stain on me and, and it's weird to be so much older now but still be so affected because it's such a cliche statement. But when you're when you feel like a social outcast, it really affects you because you have a lot of issues as you get older. And, and what does that mean? And how does that feel? Yeah, for sure. And can be so tough to integrate those as life goes on. But hopefully there's whether it's music or acting or different times where you're able to do some of that healing through the process of creating. There's so many things that we could talk about in terms of how that school led to, you know, things that you ended up doing in your adult life. <laughs> acting certainly was, I'm assuming, one of the things that you did a lot at the performing arts school. Mm -hmm. So in your career, do you still do acting? 
acting? Did you pursue it full time? Like for a lot of people that I meet, they think that acting is a super unrealistic thing to go into. Talk a little bit about your acting career. And if somebody wanted to go into it, what would you suggest that they do? I love this question. Uh, yes, I still act. I keep every couple of years, I go on like a mini hiatus because I, I decided that I wanted to only not be an actor, but be an entrepreneur, which is like really silly at times, but they fuel each other for me. So as an actor, I've done a lot of exciting things. I've been very fortunate. Right when I moved to New York, I started auditioning the summer after my freshman year of college. I completely regret not auditioning for that college, but that's for a story for another day. I knew that if I wanted to act, I was going to go do it and I was in the city for it. So just if you want to be an actor, just give yourself the permission to say yes. And that's like with everything. If you want to be an actor, if you want to be a musician, if you want to be a stockbroker, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be, you know, live on an ashram and help people. I, I mean, whatever it may be, I think just if you're going to do it, like do it, love it, live it and eat, sleep and breathe it. I unfortunately, um, due to some things that happened to me the last couple of years, the hunger for it has almost dissipated at times because the passion goes away when like life happens like I gotta make rent well I gotta get that acting job well okay well I can go work here and and make the money quicker so the minute that I started really shifting my perception of looking at my acting life as a career versus like a creative hobby that I hope to one day get me notoriety or whatever because that's how a lot of people I think perceive the arts they perceive it as not necessarily a lucrative position but there are plenty of people that make a lot of money doing that I started really switching the gear between I'm a creative professional and my business is my acting. I have, a, I have a business of acting coach who really helped me with all of that. And I already was thinking about that before I saw her. So it was great to find someone that really showed me how to apply that. So acting is a business. It's called show business for a reason. So work on the craft. If you're an athlete or you're a dancer or you're a singer, you have to actively work on your, your skill set every day. If you're an actor, you have to actively work on your skill set every day. People don't get perfect after the first day. So work on the craft, discover what things you like discover what voices and authors and playwrights and eras and dialect find out what you like and what you don't like discover what kind of person you want to be it's about telling the truth and allowing yourself to embrace all those things like what I loved most about acting what I still to this day love most about acting is it gave me the permission to be whoever I wanted to and it's one of the few places that I allow myself to not only be vulnerable I choose to expose myself in a way where like I don't guard myself so if I want to like be fully into the experience, however this is going to make me feel, I'm going to experience it because I know that at the end of it, I'll learn something about myself. And that is why I love it so much. There's such a freedom in being able to do that. I love that way of storytelling and I transitioned to it in my other part of my life because I wanted to make my own choices in my career path. And that's why I started producing and stuff. So I still act. I was in a tour in Russia. I performed all over the United States. I was in a um, theater company. I'm in a theater company now. I've done a few films and I've done some series and I've produced things that I've been in. I've produced things that I put my friends in. I've worked with a lot of exciting people. I've been very, very fortunate and in the sense that even now to wake up and like pinch myself and see even when I'm stressed after I get out of my stress haze and I look around, I realize, wow, I really lived the dream that I wanted to have when I was like seven or eight years old. I was in acting class the other day and I got to look on stage at everyone for me and I was like, wow, this has been my dream since I've been a kid and I'm still doing it or, you know, and, and waking up and being able to like do my own work and choose the work that I do. Like I've always been wanting to do these things. So it's just exciting to take away the things that I went through and how I've transitioned to now and acting has been the glue that has held all those experiences together. I don't know if you're bringing tears to my eyes or a smile to my <laughs> face, maybe both in that uh, the tagline that I say at the intro to this podcast is that we talk about vulnerability and learning and, uh, you know, helping people own those dreams. And in one sentence, I think, you just summarize what I hope that people continue to do uh, at scale though, right? So that as many people as possible can be pursuing those things. You mentioned your other part of your life. Is that the business? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do within that business? You obviously started it. It's named after you. What does that business do? So Star Baby Enterprises started in um, 2000. Ah, oh, I can't remember it so long ago now. 
I started 2013. I um I launched it after working for that woman I mentioned previously mentioned for about a year, and I realized like I had learned all I could. I was about to break the ceiling, and she was becoming very. We we're just not having a good working relationship, so I was producing independent fashion shows with her, and I quit on the day of a show that I had literally worked six months by myself under her like regime. And then so I quit, and then two and a half weeks later, I raised ten thousand dollars via crowdfunding, and I had my own fashion show, and I did all the stuff for someone like me. Like I ran every department. I was the PR person and the sponsorship person and the admin person and the marketing person. And so I knew what I needed to do to take the next level. And I never really looked back. I tried working corporate in between once or twice, but it just didn't satiate me mentally. And so starting my business was about being creative and doing something interesting. And I thought fashion was going to be the thing. I don't know why I'm not fashionable whatsoever. I was doing freelance events and I was doing graphic design on the side for people. And then um, the person I was dating at the time said to me in like 2015, like, why are aren't you making films like you're an actor why aren't you doing that so I had a light bulb moment and I decided to go full throttle like all right if we're doing this we're doing this and I I produced a um, music video for my guitar teacher who's my guitar teacher from when I was a kid he's still my guitar teacher now I did his music video and that was like the beginning of it that music video led to me working on another music video with like the bassist from Joan Jett the Blackhearts and like I was like totally excited about that and then it led to I did like a short film and I wrote it and I directed and I produced it I was hired by someone to do that and then I started creating projects that I was going to be in and helping people work on set and then learning the business and then it just has blossomed over the years into like I love the entertainment industry so much and I also love marketing because some people in the entertainment industry do not know how to market themselves I think most that one I don't want to just call it the entertainment industry most creative individuals because it's such an emotional not that not all businesses are emotional and all verticals are emotional but the creative industry is so emotional and not in a bad way but they forget they get so lost in the art of it they forget that you're creating this for a reason so they get very protective of their baby as they should when they like make anything but they forget like okay I have to just make someone see it and then all the stuff's apparently going to happen because like oh I'm going to make this one film and someone's going to see it at a festival my life's going to be changed that's not how it goes there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes and what's more important is understanding the relationships and your voice and your artistic integrity and what's important to you and putting yourself out there and so I've been able to really bring my marketing world and my you know producing world together I treat the entertainment industry like the tech industry and I treat all the other industries like they're the entertainment industry because most people whether they're realtors or they're like motivational speakers or they're who else do I have on my list they're they're fitness coaches they all just want to be like rock stars and so they all want to be treated like these big personalities so I'm always volleying back and forth in the strategies that I present but it's been it's afforded me a very exciting life every single person that I have ever been inspired by I've been able to in one way or another inadvertently work with them either directly or um, like indirectly work with them and that's been the coolest thing that, that I created for myself. So I'll ask a couple of business questions quickly because I know a lot of people are interested in starting their businesses right now. Yeah, 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 definitely. Do you work primarily alone? Do you have a team? Uh, how big are you guys right now? So first it was just me and I had a bunch of interns. I'm very big on interns. I have a very big internship program. I, I probably take about, I would say five to 10 interns every couple months. And then over the last few years, it's grown. I brought on um, four people last year. It used to be just me. And then it was me and my friend who now is my creative director. She's also my producing partner. We're both actresses who wanted to make our own content and felt that making our own content was the way for our career. So bringing her on board was really helpful because we're having a lot of people that wanted to understand how to do that. And then um, I have like a head of my tech department. We built some new services. So something that I do now is I not only have my own streaming television network, I make people television networks. So if someone wanted a Netflix, I can make one for you. And now I have an operations manager and now I have a new art director and it's like I'm constantly bringing people in. But it took a long time to get there and it took a long time to come back to the confidence issue to not only feel confident delegating, but understand why you should delegate and the type of people you should be delegating to and also inviting in your corner. Because being an entrepreneur is not about like, oh, it's my thing. I made this. It's just me. It's about having an idea and believing in it so vividly that people also not only believe in it, but they want to help you keep creating it and together you work as a community for the common goal but you're providing all the opportunities and that's your role and you need to acknowledge that like you hold the cards for everybody and their trust in you in helping them being able to live and feed themselves and get rent and all that great stuff but also them believing in your idea it's a it's a it's an ebb and flow it's a constant relationship i think a lot of people of who are self-serving entrepreneurs fail 
because it becomes a selfish act. And I think I've only been able to stay in my business because my clients feel very connected to me and my team. I very much listen to them and, and it's a growing family that we're building. So it's been a wild ride. <laughs> it's interesting because I think when it comes to whether it's acting or music, it could be podcasting, does like anything creative that blurs that line, as you mentioned with business, kind of, I guess, trying to have a cure for the starving artist is what I'm sure I know I would like to see a lot more because I can name, you know, four students that I have who are serving time in jail right now who are unbelievable hip hop artists. If you give them a microphone, but figuring out anything beyond that, nothing will become successful because people will never know that they're really talented hip hop artists. And I see that all the time. So the fact that you're helping that while creating a business, I think is just so important because it comes back to this thing you've mentioned a couple of times. We have to pay the bills, right? Pay the rent and this kind of thing, which I think the multi-passionate, the creative, that's what so many of us really struggle with. Do you find that starting a business has kind of uh, helped you in that regard? Because it's it's helped with the revenue piece to then be creative as well? I would say starting a business is not for the faint of heart. A lot of people have glamorized being an entrepreneur without intake on what it means to be an entrepreneur. I know full well that I've made some very silly decisions, but I've also been an entrepreneur since I was like in my young 20s. Like I was still very much in my mind now, a kid just trying to like get by and like, you know, be a rebel, work for myself. But now I know that my personality is fit for being an entrepreneur. But I tell people who come to me, like, do they, if they want to be an entrepreneur, regardless of what they might want to do, I tell them like, you need to be a hundred percent sure this is what you want to do. And you cannot do anything else. And people will say that as well in, in some of the creative arts as well in those businesses. But like being an entrepreneur, if you're only doing it, because you think it's cool and you're like, I, sh- I just want to have my own stuff. Like, and you haven't taken the time to try to work in corporate or try to work for somebody else and understand what that is, then you shouldn't, in my opinion, be an entrepreneur. There's an education that I think people forget. I was fortunate. I worked with a lot of startups. When I worked with startups, I worked directly with the CEOs at a very young age and I was able to kind of like learn and listen. And you wear lots of many hats when you work in startups. So you understand how to problem solve in a quick way because the bandwidth is not as big as in a corporate setting. But I had a corporate job where I was making like my rent every week. And I was a very young, um, at like 25, I was a senior sales and marketing director for like a big company. And that was cool. But after the first month, like me and the CEO were like, I like you and this is cool. But I can tell like this is not, it's just didn't work out for who I was. Not that I wasn't capable. I want to do things that make me happy. But I also know the work that needs to go into it. So I think that like a good artist, like you need to eat, sleep and breathe it. So every morning I eat, sleep and breathe. Like I really like my, and I do my acting. It's a hundred percent on that. If I'm doing, you know, star baby work that day, it needs to be a hundred percent that. And it's hard. I think one of the biggest things that people struggle with in any creative pursuit, acting or music, is how do I pay the bills, right? It might even be somebody who wants to go start a YouTube channel or a podcast, and they know that long term, they want that creative to be where they succeed. However, they know could be a 10-year window where they're continually grinding to succeed. So I started my business so I was able to have the freedom to act whenever I wanted to. That was like the fir- one of the first big initiatives towards doing that. But then it started really percolating because I had a good knack for business to what you mentioned about like paying the bills and understanding like doing a YouTube channel. There's like a gatekeeper mentality that I see across the board where people think that there's all these people up there that are taking checks and balances like who's cool enough to get in and what gets viral when the reality is an overnight success takes 10 years. A lot of my friends, um, I have a mastermind group and I also started an accountability group for actors where we talk about the fact that like things are happening now, but a lot of of us, including myself, that things are finally happening. We've been actively like banging the door down for 10 years, like doing new things. There's a thousand ways to make a mousetrap. We've been making 2000 ways, like trying to find different ways to just really be heard and have our voice be heard. And one lesson that really helped me, and I say this to a lot of creatives, find people where your strengths are their weaknesses and their strengths are your weaknesses. For example, if I'm not good at marketing, I'm a musician, maybe I'll find someone who's good at marketing and maybe I'll ask to buy them a cup of coffee if they just give me some tips. Or there is plenty of stuff on YouTube, right? now that you can educate yourself with. There are so many ways to capitalize on your investment of time that you don't need to spend money until you absolutely have to. I think a lot of people are also under the notion that they have to spend all 
all this money to be successful because there's something like somebody's really looking to see how much money you spend. I think it's much more exciting to see how someone took a dollar and turned into a hundred thousand dollars versus someone that spent twenty thousand dollars to only make a hundred thousand dollars. There's a lot more excitement in that because I want to see how you invested your time because time is the only thing we can't get back. You know, we hire people to use their time. Like it's therefore it's hard to really kind of figure out where to go first if you don't know where to go first. So the first thing is understanding like if you're great at, let's say, making microphones and you don't have any of the material, but you have some great sketches, you would need to find where am I going to source my materials? Who's going to do that? Like, how are people going to find out about me? Like making social media right now is free. You don't have to spend on ads right now. It's I can tell you from what I deal with on a daily basis, it's an oversaturated place right now. You can literally just use it to kind of have like a sign of the fact that you're an open business and just start doing the work that you're good at, which is like your creative stuff, making sure you're protecting yourself, um, you know, with copyrights and stuff and then putting it out there and then like watching videos and listening to podcasts about how to be better entrepreneurs. What are some great tips to social media marketing, finding a platform that resonates well with you. You don't have to do the same thing as everybody else just because Charlie D'Amelio, whatever her name is, is like viral on TikTok. Well, if you go back in her history, she's been making videos. She's been a kid and she was doing it on Vine, which came out before TikTok. So there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes. I think just educating yourself with the stuff that you don't know and being like, I see that I need this. I tried learning this. I'm not good at it. And admitting that you're not good at it is great because you could find someone that is. And arrogant and pretending to know things will get you nowhere. There are plenty of people that wish that they could strum a guitar, myself included, and they can't. So they they would love to learn from someone who could do that. So there are so many bartery ways and ways you can engage with people and support each other and, and move forward versus being like, uh, like instead of being like, oh, I have to make this thing or it's never going to happen. And you're a creative and you want to be a an actor, a musician or a dancer or a model or a playwright or a writer or whatever. I don't know. An entrepreneur, like you want to run a business, start your business. You have to just be on honest about like what are your goals and what is your big picture idea and then go backwards from there reverse engineer it and celebrate in tiny victories because a lot of people forget to do that they think that I can only do it when the song is perfect I can only do it when the my reel is perfect when the script is done I'm in the sixth round of editing my video to celebrate the fact that you you finished something celebrate the fact that you did it why do you need it to be so perfect why don't you just go out to somebody that you are inspired by and say hey I did this thing it's in the rough cut can I share it with you because sometimes wasting your way in perfection and waiting till it's like this big finished beautiful stuff and not enjoying every part like I said about the journey before as it gets there somebody less talented with less experience jumped the gun before you as might have more opportunities because they were willing to take the risk on themselves and you can make mistakes no one's going to beat you up because you didn't say hi correctly I mean granted don't curse anyone don't be insensitive life's about learning from your mistakes and the fact that they're not bad things like so you don't have to go and like beat yourself up because you haven't gotten a record deal yet or you haven't gotten your big break. Everyone happens in the right time, but discover what that timing is like for you and stop comparing yourself to other people. You brought up TikTok. I didn't bring it up. I did want to ask about socials because that ties all of these things we've talked about together, business, acting, succeeding in all of these different multi-passionate areas. Social media is definitely at the center of that. Do you have a favorite platform? And I'm assuming it's not TikTok yet. I would probably say my two favorite platforms right now would be Clubhouse and LinkedIn. I, I became a LinkedIn junkie last year in the sense that like I really marinated in the art of LinkedIn. I, I have a, a few proprietary strategies on growing on LinkedIn. And I think LinkedIn is like the final frontier when it comes to social media. Everyone should get a LinkedIn. They should be educating people on how to utilize LinkedIn because it's a professional platform and it has like a built-in yellow pages. So why would you not want it for those that know what the yellow pages are? <laughs> So why wouldn't you take action there? I mean, granted, all these platforms are new. To TikTok, I'm fascinated by TikTok. When it comes to video editing or like the way I want things, I'm very meticulous. And so TikTok bothers me because I haven't mastered the art of editing through the app. I don't I don't want to use a bunch of other apps yet. I want to figure, I mean, all the like special apps I can use with TikTok, I just want to figure out the one platform and really understand my voice on it. But my friend went viral on there and she's been training people and it's been exciting to, sh- to see how authentic it is for some people 
because you can be yourself. You can be really silly and do a bunch of dances, but you can also really share your story and people will resonate with it on TikTok. I think it's one of the, the easiest platforms right now to get organic growth, which is why it's so popular. But my favorites, I would say LinkedIn definitely because I've seen just it's helped me so much professionally. Also, Clubhouse has become awesome. I had to actually not be on it for two weeks because I'm trying to finish work and all the connections that I made. I want to follow up with them with something substantial. But Clubhouse, I love because I was in the process of moving. I was isolated out in Brooklyn and it was hard for me to see friends because they live in Manhattan where I am now. And I wanted to be social and everyone in this app, you could tell like we all miss being social and just having regular conversations. It reminded me of like when AOL chat rooms first opened, like you went on there and you just talked to people in real time and it was really cool. Facebook is is Facebook, uh, but you have to have it. I love Instagram. I've been very active on Instagram lately. Instagram, I like artistically. It's a platform I play a lot with. Twitter, I see is making a comeback. But I have like, because I'm in social media marketing, it's like, which one of your children do you love the most? I'm like, well, I have the ones that are more difficult than others. And sometimes they're in timeout. It's also interesting to see how they all work independently and how they all work collaboratively. YouTube as well, people forget is not just a distribution channel. It's also a social media platform. YouTube has been really, um, the last year really took a pivot, in my opinion. For anyone who wants to do unscripted content on YouTube, I would say say that that's a good place for you. There's some great apps to help you utilize YouTube's um, SEO strategy because it's owned by Google. So there's some exciting SEO in there. And also YouTube as YouTube community now, which is like posting and stuff like that. And when you're active on there, it will really help with your growth. So there's great solutions on each platform for every kind of voice. You don't have to be on all of them. By baseline, definitely be on Instagram and Facebook if they're owned by the same company. Everyone's on both of them. But if you want to get into something beyond just like, here is my food, because a lot of people use it for personal reasons, but like I don't post by food on my grid. I post it in my stories. If you want to use it for business, that's one thing. But I would definitely say have another component that you can have as a great like follow through. And I think LinkedIn is, in my opinion, the best follow through social media platform. I can completely relate because when people who don't use socials at all ask me the same kind of thing, like, oh, which one should I join? And this kind of thing, I'm like, well, then I go through them very similar to how you just did, almost with the same kind of descriptions and have little kind of certain groups of communities that I connect with on each different one that I can think of, as well as just a different way to communicate. And I think that's neat how they've kind of all sort of settled into their own roles in this sort of ecosystem. But of course, there's always new ones. Uh, One of the things that I love to do is give like a real case study because I've worked with so many youth over the years who are trying to achieve these modern things. Again, always it connects to social media, right? I want to start a YouTube channel. I want to start a podcast. I want to whatever it is. And one of the really common ones, especially amongst some of the teen moms that I work with, is that wanting to grow their Instagram. But you know, they're sitting at that like couple hundred followers and they have no idea how to grow. So whether it's socials in general or Instagram specific or LinkedIn, something specific, What would be some tips if you were coaching them? You came in to teach for me for a day that you would help them in terms of the growth piece. I think I would definitely use a case study with LinkedIn because LinkedIn can also become a catalyst for the other platforms. Instagram right now is difficult. Unfortunately, on Instagram and Facebook, and I'm probably going to get like banned for this by saying it, but if you're not spending money in the ads on Facebook, you're not an ad, and, and Instagram, you're not going to get an ROI. You're not going to get a return on investment. Um, also, there's heavy suppression on those platforms. And it is just what it is at the moment. And I think that you're not going to, I know people who think like, oh, I got this great stuff. I'm going to get like 10,000 followers in two months. I'm like, do you know how hard it is? It's just not pragmatic. I love LinkedIn because it's like untouched at the moment. I mean, it's it's getting a little, it's getting there. I could, I could feel it when I go on there. But LinkedIn is excellent. If you want to grow organically, it looks like it's a B2B platform, like a business to business platform, but it's really just like executive to executive. So although that you might be coming and leading with your professional voice, because because it's like peers, like us talking now. So it's person to person. So really, when you're active on it, I, I highly recommend deciding the kind of voice you want to have. Do not treat it like it's another social media profile. And it's certainly not a dating profile. But I, I call it like a business dating profile in the sense that you're you're looking for people to have business relationships with. Do you look clean shaven if that's a look you want to go for? Do you have properly expressed goals and your dreams are like in terms of like your professional life? Do you have a history of what you previously worked on? The kind of people you're connecting to? Do you have a reason to why you're connecting with them? 
going back to the Pokemon analogy, like I think that a lot of people go into social media and they're like, I just got to catch them all. I got to bring them all in. Getting a bunch of people because it's a bunch of people, but not knowing why they're all important is like having a house full of furniture, but there's so much furniture you can't sit on anything, can't do anything and, and you don't know where to go now. To me, it's better to be like, I have a reason when I open up this app, what's my follow through? What's my reason for being there? So on LinkedIn to grow organically is great because you can say like, for me, I look at my ideal business relationships are other entrepreneurs in the creative media space that I maybe want to collaborate with, or maybe I want to bring on for a client, or maybe I want to do a podcast with. Podcasts, press, uh, media, people that I can start talking to about the stuff that I'm doing. Producers for other films and shows that I'm working with. Different distributors because I want to know what's out there and opportunities for my clients. But I always actively go on there just like I do with Clubhouse. I go there with purpose. And when I speak, I speak with purpose. I'm not just going to go because I have to justify why I'm doing that versus writing a proposal or writing an email or having me with my team or sleeping. Like it's, these are all important things. You can do a post on LinkedIn. Text posts, I believe, get the most amount of engagement on LinkedIn followed by like a static image post followed by video. Video can get good views, but the conversion rate isn't that high. What's great, like a lot of podcasts get a lot of success on on there because you can just play and listen. Also discovering who your power engagers are. This is like a little trick. So when you're on there, find people that you really want to connect to and put them in like a nice Excel sheet, like their name, what they do and everything. And if you want them to take notice of you, maybe start tagging them um, in your posts, like in the comment section, the comment section in LinkedIn is like your best friend. I know there's lots of mixed messages out there between should you post a link or should you not post a link as a post. Facebook doesn't like when you use outside links because they want to keep everything in the infrastructure of the platform. So they don't like posts from other platforms. But LinkedIn is also very similar. I put my my links to my the things I want to drive traffic to in the comments. I'll be like, put a post and say, check out the full episode or check out the full link in the comments and I'll I'll drive traffic there. Um, You can use emojis on LinkedIn. There's just a great way to find your voice and like play with the system and grow engagement. You can also see when that engagement is happening. And take advantage of your connections because LinkedIn is a platform where the more connections you have, the more access to more connections you'll have. There are people that you can't connect to on LinkedIn at a certain level because you haven't made enough connections. So start making those connections, start sparking those conversations. And when you really want to have speak to somebody, have something to say to them. Though so this is a lesson, this is like a biggest business lesson I will give. Do not reach out to people because you want something from them unless you feel like they're going to get something out of it. And it's not, oh, I'm awesome. That's why the, they're going to get out of it. It's like, I want to work with you. I'm inspired by you. I would love the chance to speak to you over coffee. Um, maybe we can collaborate together. I'm doing this project and I really saw that you did this and I love your message. I love the chance to talk to you about it or, or have a meeting or work with you or invite you to be part of the project. Don't do a transactional relationship. Like don't just go there for like the one moment that they can help you. If you're going to reach out to somebody, whether it's on email or it's social or it's whatever, make sure you're doing that and you have a call to action to a breadcrumb to building a relationship because this is someone that you can continuously grow with for years. You know, that's important. And LinkedIn's great because you can build those relationships there. A lot of people aren't active on LinkedIn. So you'll have more of a chance. There's more opportunity for people because it's still such an underused platform and you can grow organically and you could also drive traffic to the business pages on there, which is exciting. But the business pages just take a little bit longer because people don't really go on LinkedIn to interact with the business page. They go on LinkedIn to act with other people's profiles. Right. I really appreciate you bringing up the relationships and the fact that you communicate with people and connect with people because you might collaborate because, you know, that's exactly what happened in this instance. And, you know, very much because I appreciate the work that you're doing and everything you're putting out there. It's funny to me when um, podcasts, I I think of like a Joe Rogan podcast and how he can go three hours. And, you know, I've always had mine be between like 45 minutes and an hour. But in certain episodes, much like this, I feel like we could talk all evening. Um, (laughs) but I think that's, that's a pretty good spot kind of to stop, you know, talking about all of those sorts of things, you know, maybe we can run back episode two (laughs) at like episode 200 or something. Um, I do have a few themed questions that I ask everybody, you know, and then I tie them together, uh, in the future sometimes before I ask those though, I did want to ask one quick thing about one of the catchphrases that you have, not girly yet, not a tomboy. What does that mean? You know, if you built that out, what does that mean? I'm like a bull in a china shop. I'm never gonna be like one way or another. I like kind of playing with both hemispheres. So it's, I like pink, but like I'll punch you in the face if you mess with 
me. I can get into it and I can get like, if when I'm on a project or I'm on set or I'm doing something, I'm in the trenches, like my feet are in the dirt with everybody else, literally sometimes. And it's, you know, I'm not afraid to, to get dirty. I'm not afraid to like, it doesn't matter that I'm a girl. It's not truly just defining yourself by like your masculine and feminine norms, but just kind of figure out who you are. And I'm girly, but I'm also like edgy and I'm a little like very masculine at times. And it's has nothing to do with the fact that I have pink in my hair right now. But yeah, it's just, I think that a lot of girls, especially, um, and not just girls, guys too, everybody under the umbrella of a uh, gender uh, pronouns, you could just be who you are. And a lot of people get stereotyped a lot. And so I just like breaking the stereotype. And that's kind of what I meant by that. Like, I'm not girly, but I'm not a tomboy. I'm not full tomboy, at least. <laughs> I love it. And that may tie into the first theme question, or maybe you have something else in mind. But if you were to leave one piece of advice, you can only leave one for the next generation, what would it be? Savor every moment and be present in the moment. Love it. Uh, One thing that you yourself are learning that may be surprising to people. Choosing not to have fun because you didn't finish something is not a reason to punish yourself because putting yourself in timeout is really redundant. (laughs) You know know what I love is when like that's such a deep philosophical thing that you are learning and that's just (laughs) so amazing. But sometimes people will say like karate, you know what I mean? (laughs) They're like, (laughs) it's so that's I just I love that question because it's like, where do we go with it? What time? types of things and all those are life skills you know it's cool this will be a good one because you know you know social media well you know it better than i do certainly um the opportunity for you to ask me a question but knowing that i'll post this as a piece of content and hopefully it'll help my audience in the future what's a question that you would ask me turning the tables why do you think it's important for people to listen to this podcast I hope that it really, if I start at the top, really, of the main reason that it improves people's mental health, that it, you know, decreases struggles with anxiety and depression and, you know, Mm -hmm. if nothing else, stress, because I'm a big believer that when we do things that are very connected to our purpose, to our passion, and then like you mentioned earlier, we can look back uh, even acutely or long term and say, holy crap, like I'm actually doing what I very intrinsically love to do and making a living from it, or at least it's fueling a big part of my person and uh, and mental health. That that would definitely be the number one reason. And if I work down from that as a waterfall, it's because the guests who come on here are able to be experts in how to get that done. And so that's why it will bring value to people to figure out how to do that. I love that question. I mean, I call you out. I Everybody, because I have a lot of people that come to podcasts and shows. And the one thing I always ask them is that if you can't tell me why it's important for us to stop and listen versus like, I just think I have a really cool idea. It then like, you don't have something that people can connect to. And I think it's so beautiful. What you just said just helping people giving more insight, especially into mental health, because we need that more than anything at the moment, in my opinion. You, you survived my, my put you on the spot question. So yeah. I think I always survive. Yeah. Uh, Maybe not thrive. But that's why when I make the new one, the the when I post, hey, this question, uh, I can thrive in that version of the answer. No, for me, that that answer is intrinsic, though. And it comes from years of working with youth who struggle, you know, the schools that I work in. Mm-hmm. So we have two hospitals for mental health, one crisis unit. We have a long term stay for depression, and anxiety. We have two different uh, live in facilities, three month stays for addictions, one for boys, one for for girls. We have a school for teen moms. There's anywhere between 30 and 50 of them, plus their babies there every day. And then we have four different jails. And am I leaving anyone out? Oh, there's a, a, a school for like real behavioral struggles, which is essentially a lot of kids that would grow up in group homes, probably in and out of foster care, that kind of thing, and just don't fit into a regular school. But they're not in jail or hospital at the current moment. That's their spot. So we have all these places. That's the youth that I work with. That was the main reason for creating this because I see almost every single one of them for the last 10 years could be thriving in something creative. Like there's something scary uh, and dark about the fact that all of those struggles connect with a positive creative skill correlates for sure. I haven't done the academic studies on it, but it definitely does. You know, hip hop artist, painter, dancer, and they don't know how to achieve these goals. Like they just can't figure that out because they don't have mentors or people to help them with that. So yeah, it's not like I have to make things up to answer that question for sure. Can I ask you another question? Sure. Well, sorry, no, really taking a lot of time. 
But what inspired you to get into this line of work? Because you're doing things that I've never, I mean, I've never met someone who's doing it that or even engaging with with youth in that way. And I think it's really important. The first and big kind of deep why moment for me is that uh, I can really relate to those who struggle. I've always looked back in age, I suppose, and tried to support and help those who struggle the most, right? Whether it's, you know, foster kids working at a group home or that kind of thing. I'm not sure exactly why that happened happened. It just was part of my character. Like it interests me from a really young age. So like when I was 12 years old, I was working um, in a daycare with three-year-olds, right? And then when I was uh, in 12th grade, so, you know, 17, 18 years old, I was coaching kids who were 12 years old and like always that kind of mentorship. I don't know. It's just what I was interested in, um, which brought me into education. It was a hard decision because I felt like I was leaving kind of money on the table. You know, the other things I wanted to go into were doctor, lawyer, you know, money making fields, right? Real estate, stuff like that. But I wanted to help kind of affect change. And I was thinking mainstream education, right? What you mentioned earlier about when you finally went to that performance art school, I wanted to try and do that at scale in regular schools. Then I realized that it's way too hard because the system's so rigid in terms of what curriculum is being taught right now. And it's such a political game that I could fight that for the next 30 years and never succeed. So then I went directly to the youth who struggle the most against still mainstream education, though, trying to support them with school. And that grew into, I need to do this externally, enter the podcast, potentially YouTube in the future or whatever else, because going directly to the youth is going to be more valuable, more important. And the reason I was realizing that was it's fascinating to me how many kids can even get kicked out of schools that are designed to help them with their struggles. Or when they're there, they're still doing things that are boring or that aren't connected to their passion and purpose throughout their time in these places where of all people in the world, the ones who struggle the most, I would think that's who we are catering to in terms of giving them you know, the topics that we've talked about for the last hour, and yet it doesn't happen. So mm-hmm. that led to becoming more entrepreneurial in my approach to trying to solve this. But it's all the same things, really, growth mindset, vulnerability, and we can't just put a poster up on the wall. <laughs> I think um, I have Car- Carol Dweck's book behind me, Growth Mindset. Like, they, they're not going to read that book and learn from it. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. So how can we help them learn from it to affect hopefully mental health and uh, help them build a positive career, not end up back in jail, ideally. Yeah, that's awesome. It's really, really awesome. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. My last question is always where and why people can find you online if they want to support your work. First of all, thank you so much for everything. This has been such a lovely conversation. I've gotten to talk about things that I don't normally speak about. And I think it's very empowering. People can find me on most social platforms uh, under Jordan Elizabeth Galber or uh, Jordy Starbaby. So it's J-O-R-D-I-E underscore S-T-A-R-B-A-B-Y Starbaby Enterprises. Right now, um, it's Starbaby Enterprises. And uh, yeah, connect with me anywhere. The best places to reach me are LinkedIn, (laughs) Instagram. For anyone who heard this, I'd love to hear from it and hear what you thought. And I'd love to share this with my listeners. That's really exciting. Yeah. And why should they reach out to me? I love talking to people. So if anyone has any questions about anything that we talked about today, I just think it's important to pay it forward. I'm constantly aware of how lucky I am to be able to live my life the way that I live my life. And the best thing to do is I want to empower other people to take a hold of their dreams. And if I could do that in a small way by sharing a Zoom or answering a question or something, I just, there's so much power in giving back. And sometimes that has even more currency than a dollar because it comes back to you in spades. I completely agree. And I'm sure this won't be the last of our conversations over the years. God willing and knock on wood. uh, Thank you so much for doing this. And if you ever need anything to support your work, please just let me know because I'd love to help. Thank you. And team. That was a great conversation. Nothing but love for all of our guests, but it can be a challenge to get these incredible stories out to the world. So please do pass it along. Thank you to our guest, Jordan. She's another outstanding role model for anyone looking to pursue their own goals and vision. It's our goal to have this in every school in the world. So please do subscribe, leave reviews, and pass it along to someone who you think could benefit from the show. Till the next episode, all the best. And remember, just keep learning.